Welcome to this episode of The Square. We've got something really cool for you today. Stacy Brimmer and Karina Clark, um, who are both uh, healthcare interior designers. Karina, you're in our Phoenix office. Um, we Hi. are going to talk a little bit about anti-terminology, which isn't what I thought it was when we first started talking about this topic. But before we do, um, let's start with a little bit about why you guys do what you do. Like, you know, why, why healthcare interior design? Karina, let's start with you. Well, I think the easiest answer for that is my mom's a healthcare architect, so I just sort of grew up around it. Um, I knew in high school I wanted to do something in the medical side. I literally was choosing between being an interior designer or being a medical examiner. Figured it might be a little bit more fun to go on the design route, so I didn't actually like draw on dead individuals on my spare time. But yeah, that's that's where. I come from. That's awesome. Stacy. how about you? Um, I've always wanted to be an interior designer. I always knew that there was something about space and how it made you feel and how you lived your life better. Um, but I also was drawn to the sciences. So mm -hmm. for me, it was either botany or interior design. Okay. Um, and I think healthcare interior design really lets you marry kind of that science love and love of spaces. Well, let's jump into today's topic. So Anti-terminology isn't what I first thought it was when I heard it. It's not anti-terminology. It's the terminology of words that start with anti, particularly antibacterial, antiviral, um, antimicrobial. So with that, I'm going to read a quote because you, you wrote for the um, COVID best practices report, which we talked to Sam uh, a few weeks ago. Um, Karina, uh, for years the A&E industry has been slowly infected by new and exciting terminology like antibacterial to aid in infection control, especially in hospitals where the potential of catching a hospital-acquired infection or an HAI is more prominent. Infected is kind of a, uh, a specific and dramatic word. What did you mean by that? Uh, so uh, I found in the course of being in a healthcare interior designer that a lot of reps tend to come forward sharing their products and how great they are. And they like to use the terms antimicrobial, antibacterial to kind of sell why their product is better than a competitor. Um, specifically since hospitals, they do tend to worry about hospital-acquired infections, um, which is how a patient can easily acquire, say, MRSA when they came in for a broken hip type of situation. Um, so what's happening is these, these reps are saying, hey, if you install our product, we have the potential of actually killing these bacteria, so that way you have fewer hospital-acquired infections, which is, would then reduce the cost for hospitals having to treat those patients. It seems kind of like a dangerous proposition <laughs> to be throwing around words like that without really knowing what they mean. It is, and I, whenever I would have conversations with these reps, I would ask them, well, how is it antimicrobial? How is it antibacterial? Um, the most common answer would be it's inherently, uh, which is great, but it doesn't really tell me anything. Uh, sometimes I would get, hmm, I don't know, let me look into that for you, I'll send you a study, and even fewer from there, I'd actually get something uh, that I could actually read and kind of dive into. Um, even fewer than that, they would be third-party reviewed articles, meaning most of the time these were white papers from the manufacturer touting why this antimicrobial or antibacterial worked on their product. 
it's anti because we say it is. <laughs> exactly. So then what does it really mean to be antimicrobial or antibacterial? Great question. So really to start it off, and this is what we talk about in the article, was you have to understand what a microbe is and what bacteria is. Uh, a microbe is really an overall terminology for things like bacteria, protozoa, fungi. Sometimes viruses can be classified as a microorganism, uh, but really because a virus needs to survive off of a host, there's some debate on whether or not it can be classified that or not. That sort of leads into these terms, antimicrobial, antibacterial. They purely mean if they can kill a microorganism, antimicrobial, or if they can kill a bacteria, antibacterial. So even when something is antimicrobial or antibacterial, it's not actually, you, you, in your mind you have this picture of, oh, it's killing it right away. But that's not actually what's happening. It's, it's really just working on slowing it down, right? Right, yeah. So this terminology is actually defined as creating an inhospitable environment for bacteria or microorganisms so they eventually die out. Um, it's not an immediate situation where you put Purell on your hands and you, you wipe your hands over and you no longer have bacteria. Um, that is something that would be the case for a biocide or biocidal property. Um, in which case a biocide is classified as a biocide as it kills these microorganisms, but it has to do it within a given time frame, Got which it. an antimicrobial or antibacterial does not really qualify. All right, so Stacy, how does this apply to materiality? Like, let's take it out of hand sanitizer for a minute, and you're thinking about a material that you're going to be using in a healthcare situation. What does that look like? So I think a lot of people think first about applied antimicrobials. These are typically heavy metals, right? So copper, silver ions, um, titanium dioxides. Um, and what these do is they essentially react with the uh, atoms mm -hmm. of the bacteria and they break down the cellular walls and it kills the bacteria. So those are a little bit more active. Um, the biggest challenge with those types is really twofold. First off, heavy metals are really frowned on by the Center for Disease Control. Yeah. They, there's not enough study to really understand how they affect our bodies. Um, but silver does not occur naturally, you right. know, in humans. And an overexposure can actually cause mutation in our own cells, right? Yep. So if you think about them on the arms of a chair or something that you're touching constantly, like privacy curtains or fabrics, um, we just don't know how dangerous that actually is sure. for us. Copper is a better solution because it does occur naturally in a human body, um, but still overexposure to anything like that can be dangerous. Got it. Um, there are other ways to deal with that as well. Some of those are more mechanically based. So this is looking at um, the nanostructure of finishes, which is where my science geek like really gets <laughs> excited. Um, but essentially, it, it makes a surface that has these little columns or cones, and they actually puncture the walls of the bacteria. Really? Yes. And um, so it kills the bacteria. The challenge with either of those is that um, 
it creates what's called a biofilm, which is a layer of dead bodies yeah. of all of that bacteria. And the second new bacteria can no longer touch either the heavy metal or the mechanical killers, it um, is it, ineffective at that essentially, point. Essentially, yes. Got it. Okay. So once there's enough dead microbials, it's no longer effective. Is it something that is cleanable relatively easy? Most surfaces are, and this is kind of where you get that intersection of um, biomimicry. So it's research into understanding how natural forms like shark skin or lotus leaf, all of those have a really incredible ability to slough off um, these biofilms mm. with just a light application of water. So it doesn't even require harsh cleaners. Got it, okay. And that can immediately remove the biofilm and allow whatever antibacterial, antimicrobial to do its job again. Are there any other drawbacks to this kind of technology? I think the biggest thing is any of, like I said previously with the heavy metals, but, but biocides the ones that actively kill, they're classified as pesticides by the CDC. Mm. So it's just, it's really about um, not only what is affecting us, but also to, just like antibiotic drugs, it can create superbugs, right? Yeah. So even these topical applications can mutate all of those bacterias and other microorganisms and cause them to be a whole lot harder to treat once they do interact with a human, so. Okay, so with everything that's been going on with COVID and the, the pandemic, one of the things that I've seen kind of coming out, um, and I know that they're using this on subways in New York and a bunch of other places is using UV light. How does that play into this conversation? So UVC, which is a newer version of UV light. Previously, UV light was really hard to use. You had to evacuate a space. Um, and because it couldn't be around humans at the time it was active. So UVC is a newer, a newer version. It is very effective. The thing about uh, UV is it's only attacking stuff where the light touches. So if, it's, if, you're, if you're putting UV on a pole, it gets the front side of the pole, but the back side of the pole is exactly the way it was before. Correct. And if you think about a chair, mm. right? There's all those little cracks and crevices. Yeah. There's the underside of an arm. There's, there's a bunch of different surfaces that we actually touch, if yeah. you think about when you wrap your hands around the arm of one, but, but wouldn't be um, affected by a UVC. So does biofilm play the same kind of insulatory role in kind of deadening some of the effect of the UV light um, if, you, if it starts to build up? It can. So the challenge between this is sometimes people take for granted that cleaning has to occur regardless, yeah. right? So say you've established a biofilm on a product uh, and then some dust gets on it, right? And, and that is a great place for bacteria to grow. And then another layer of dust happens because anyone who's dusted their house understands yeah. dust <laughs> comes down in layers. So Especially if you, you have kids. Yes. <laughs> UV light comes through. It kills the bacteria on the top layer, yep. right? And then the biofilm's acting like a bottom layer. So you've essentially created a sandwich of yeah. live bacteria. So when you disturb that sandwich, yeah. you've now exposed yourself to live bacteria. So 
going back up to the 50,000 foot view, like what is the path forward as hospitals and schools with school coming up this fall? Like what is, what is the best path forward for how they're thinking about using um, anti fill in the blank, you know, technology or materials? I think the biggest thing is thoughtfulness. So kind of to return a little bit back to Karina's original point, coronavirus is a virus, mm -hmm. right? So antibacterial, antimicrobial, it's not going to do anything in most cases for that virus. So to just blanket everything in that is not an effective way to do it, right? So you have to really think and understand what you're what you're treating. Right. Got it. Um, and then it's also about thoughtful application. I think understanding what solution, is it just a more intense cleaning protocol? Does it really need to have um, an, an, a kind of a more active part on the, on the type of the material to take care of that? Um, so it's really, there's no blanket solution. Yeah. There's no one answer, and we all want that silver yeah. bullet, right? <laughs> yeah. And there's just not a silver bullet for this kind of thing. All right, so, Karina, we've talked a lot about the antimicrobial and the antibacterial. What about antiviral? You don't, I don't see Purell selling something that is antiviral necessarily. No. So antiviral is really more uh, of an ingestible solution. So we see antiviral for, like, the AIDS pandemic. That was used to kind of battle the AIDS virus. Um, antiviral isn't anything that we can really apply surface or as an aerosol as of this time right now, which makes it really challenging for the coronavirus. This is also why both, uh, this is probably one of the few things that WHO and the CDC have agreed on, is why washing hands is better than using Purell because you're actually washing the virus off instead of treating something that probably doesn't even exist on your hands to begin with. Exactly. So then, is there a difference between cleaning and disinfecting? Absolutely. So cleaning is just what we think of when we think of wiping a counter down, right? You're yeah. removing topical pollutants, things that have settled on the surface over time, dirt, grime, things like that, right? Uh, yep. Disinfection is one step beyond that. And that's when you're getting down to that microorganism level, right? Yep. So you really cannot disinfect a surface until you clean it, which is one of the biggest misnomers. People expect that they can be able to go in and spray Lysol over something and, you know, bam, it's disinfected. But the truth is, it's only covering that top layer again. Got okay. You've got to clean it first. All right, so... Um, it sounds a lot like when my wife asked me to clean the living room and I pick up the kids' toys, but what she really wanted me is pick up the kids' toys and mop the floor. <laughs> but once that's happened, how long before the proverbial kids' toys are back on the floor again? How long before something, is it a lasting effect that it continues to kill? Or is it something that right away bacteria can be put back on the floor? So if you're just talking about a disinfectant separate from an antimicrobial product, it really is just disinfecting at that time. So if, if the surface is recontaminated, which means it gets touched by anybody, yeah. right, um, then you would have to go through that process again. Now, if it's, if it's reinfected, it's maybe reinfected with a few part particles, a few bacteria, and it takes time for them to grow and turn into something that could also could re reinfect us. It takes it. 
more than you have to be exposed to the more than one particle of the coronavirus to get the coronavirus. I think it's like a thousand particles or something. Okay. So it's that same concept, but the more it grows, then you're more likely to catch it. Got it. All right. So how much time are we actually talking about here in terms of how long it takes for it to have an effect and kill a bacteria? It totally depends on what you're trying to use to disinfect it, right? So if we, if we look specifically at coronavirus, um, one of the better solutions that we have is actually um, alcohol. Uh, I think the statistics are it thir- takes 30 seconds to okay. kill the virus with, uh, with alcohol. Bleach is in the minutes, right? Um, diluted bleach. So it's, it's definitely a continuing education process to understand what, and this goes back to my thoughtfulness comment, you have to know what you're trying to kill yeah. to know how to do it best. So it sounds like I'm going to be doing a lot more cleaning in the living room, cleaning and disinfecting. Um, Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you both for being here. And uh, if you have any more questions or want to read more about uh, this article or other technologies with uh, anti-terminology, make sure to check out the description below uh, where we've linked to the COVID best practices report. And if you're listening to the audio version, make sure to check out the video version where we've had graphic and images of some of these examples. Thank you so much for joining us and have a great week.